This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Nam. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, the situation in Gaza as we're approaching Ramadan continues to be catastrophic. Mass starvation continues to afflict Palestinians living in the south, but not just in the south, in the center and the north. Humanitarian aid continues to come in at a trickle and not enough to feed the 2.3 million Palestinians that are starving to death at this time. In addition, close to 30,000 Palestinians have died, close to 80,000 have been injured, and as we have found in this last week with the attack on Al-Nasr Hospital, there's not a single complete functioning hospital or clinic anywhere in the Gaza Strip. The situation remains catastrophic. As this catastrophe unfolds and ongoing massacres are occurring in Rafah, the Israeli uh, government is negotiating in Paris right now with the U.S. and Hamas to see about an impending ceasefire. But the situation remains grim. Today, we're going to talk about AIDS trucks that are continue to be stuck on the Egyptian side while the starvation continues. We also are anticipating that Israel is going to be required to submit its response to the ICJ, outlining the measures it has taken since January 26 to prevent genocide and starvation will review what it has done so far, which is essentially nothing. But before we get to that, Jamal, in a recent article in 972 Plus, Rugs, cosmetics, motorbikes, and money. Israeli soldiers are looting Gaza homes en masse, and Israeli journalist Oren Ziv says that the soldiers say that not only is the practice ubiquitous, but that the senior commanders are pillaging as well. It's a very disturbing interview that you did. That's right, Jess. I mean, uh, I, I, I haven't witnessed, uh, of course, you know, we didn't have the internet during World War II, we didn't have it during Viet- the Vietnam War. But now I haven't seen as many soldiers who have providing self-incriminating evidence to the ICJ and the ICC of their war crimes. They're just like uh, almost on a daily basis, Israeli soldiers are posting and bragging about stealing items from homes, about blowing up homes, uh, mocking the residents of these uh, Homes, of course, uh, they've uh, uh, uploaded on the internet images of uh, civilians stripped naked uh, and and getting humiliated. Anyway, uh, let's uh, watch and listen to journalist uh, Oren Zev. As Israeli soldiers have been advancing in Gaza, they have been posting and sharing selfies and videos of themselves looting Palestinian homes humiliating Palestinian prisoners, and bragging about exploding homes, hospitals, and schools. The images of soldiers looting include them showing off women lingerie, jewelry, cosmetics, money, rugs, and even food supplies. Some of them like to call these looted items souvenirs. They've been providing self-incriminating evidence to be presented at the International Court of Justice as evidence of war crimes. Joining us on Arab Talk this week is Oren Ziv. In his recent article in Plus 972, Rugs, Cosmetics, Motorbikes, Israeli Soldiers Are Looting Gaza Homes en masse. Ziv says that soldiers say not only is the practice widespread, 
but that senior commanders are pillaging as well. Oren Zev is an Israeli news and photojournalist for Local Call, as well as Plus 972. He's also a founding member of the Active Stills Photography Collective. Welcome again to Arab Talk, Oren. Thank you so much for having me. In your article, you caught one of the soldiers talking about this, saying it does not happen in secret, that it's considered funny. Some say, send me to The Hague. Is this more widespread than what we see on social media? And and give us some examples. So as you said, uh, my investigation and the article came out from seeing all those videos on TikTok, on Instagram, on social media of soldiers just being proud and openly saying, we're taking this, we're bringing this. This is a present to my wife or to my girlfriend. Uh, I'm taking this or just joking about this horrific act. And I wanted to dig into it and what I found, because as you said, this is being done openly and without shame, unfortunately. Uh, but the interesting things uh, I discovered what that was, A, that it's very common, for sure taking uh, orientalistic items, uh, local items, as the masmacha or prayer, uh, rugs, uh, you know, scarves, maybe maps, like, small items that maybe don't have economical value that are not expensive, but of course for the people that it's their house, it's very important. So this kind of souvenirs to show you've been to Gaza, that you've been in Palestinian house, houses, this is something very common. One of the soldiers told me everybody takes something, each one according to his or her preference, but he says everybody takes a souvenir. So they don't even see it as stealing or looting, but just taking some things, but then it of course continues to to more expensive uh, uh, things, and I believe that also some of the the things you know people don't the smarter people don't brag on social media. And the other interesting thing uh, that I found talking to soldiers is that they said that even inside the unit in Gaza, uh, it's not hidden. The commanders, at least the local commanders on the ground, are seeing it and are aware of it. So it's not something that you would imagine that a soldier goes and takes something and puts it in his pot, pocket and goes. said, no, it's, it's done openly. And we've seen it also on Israeli media outlets, as I mentioned in my article. First of all, on, on the public broadcast, the Channel 11, Khan 11, uh, you see the presenter joking about a mirror somebody brought from Hanunit. Uh, uh, from some house or somewhere else. And then on an, another channel, on channel 13, on a TV show that uh, deals with, uh, you know, with the internet, with things, with social media and things that have went viral, they're talking about how people are using the, the videos soldiers are posting to do shaming to Israel, even to send the threatening messages to the soldiers. And for me, of course, it was interesting or, you know, absurd that they're talking about the shaming so-called, but not talking about the act itself of stealing or looting. So they didn't really talk about it as the main problem, but the problem is is, is that people use it to shame uh, those soldiers or the Israeli army. So I think that the article and the people I spoke to showed that this is widespread. I talked to soldiers in different parts of the Gaza Strip, in different uh, time, 
often the same unit. And, and they say, basically, they tell the same story. And except one soldier or the soldier I spoke to told me the commanders in the briefings we have before going into the Gaza Strip, during a presence there and while going out, they don't talk about it. They don't even mention it. So yeah, of course, officially it's against the military law. But if it's widespread and nobody talks about it, nobody checks the soldier going in or out, and they're proud of it, we can understand this is our official policy. And as other people mentioned, uh, this is only part, of course, of the horrific act happening in Gaza. But I think it symbolizes uh, something bigger and deeper. It, it really shows that there are no limits, that everything is allowed, and the sense of revenge is from the people bombing to the skies to the small soldiers on the ground, that they feel that they have no barrier, not locally and unfortunately also not internationally, and they can just do whatever they want and even brag about it because they feel uh, that they won't pay any price for it, uh, unfortunately. What does this tell you about the Israeli um, psyche, really, not just the soldiers, but that this is acceptable? Do you think that this has to do with decades of occupation? Because, as you know, these kind of incidents also happen in, in the West Bank when uh, Israelis raid uh, Palestinian homes, they destroy them, and there were reports of also looting there that this is totally acceptable, not only by the military commanders, but also by the Israeli public. Unfortunately, yes. As, as you said, it's uh, decades of uh, military occupation in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. I think here specifically, after October 7, many people in the Israeli public and uh, as well in the Israeli army decided to go on a revenge campaign. And they feel that because of the violence it's an horrific act that happened on October 7. Now everything is permitted and allowed and they can do whatever they want and nobody's going to stop them. And I think, I of course think this comes from high up. We've seen the, the, the speeches and statements of Israeli officials. But I think at this point, even if the army would want to control it in this way or another, this is a strong wave of revenge from the ground and, and up. And yeah, it's, we can just understand or or conclude that this is a official policy in the end of the day, not meaning that the chief of staff tells soldiers to, to steal things or to loot, but that if we see so many evidence online, together with the evidence and the testimony soldier gave us, this means it's a, it's a, it's a spread policy. And I have to say, in addition, my article, and I mentioned it there, is talking about the so-called simple soldiers taking stuff they see. We, of course, we've seen the Israeli army taking big amounts of money, cash, uh, dollars, shekels, other currency from Gaza. Now, they're saying this is Hamas money. They're saying part of it is of Sinwar. They say different things. But, you know, we don't really know. As journalists, we don't we don't have the ability. Well, as a matter of fact, in, in your article, you mentioned that there is a special unit set up, set up for that. And, uh, you know, um, taking, like I said, million of shekels and also sometimes also dollars. And they've done that in the West Bank, uh, again, during raids, raiding some uh, money changers and, uh, and uh, financial institutions. So what, I mean, just Israel can just pin it on Hamas, says that everybody, this money just comes from Hamas, and then they can get away really with theft. 
Is that acceptable? Inside the Israeli society, for sure. Internationally, it's a good question. I think that the, the, the interesting part is that if you connect the, 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 the taking, the confiscating of the money by the state and the looting on the ground by soldiers and then the graffiti and the calls to settle in Gaza and the explosion and burning of houses, not only from the sky, but when soldiers are there and it's, you cannot even claim it's a threat or it's a military action. All this together say, shows that this, this war is just a revenge war or, you know, or, I don't even want to call it a war, but this assault or attack is a campaign of revenge that even if you talk about the uh, official uh, goals of the Israeli government of bringing back the hostages and, uh, you know, collapsing uh, Hamas, putting an end to the Hamas control of the Gaza Strip, you see so many of the actions during uh, this aggression is not related to that at all. I feel, accord, of course, I don't agree with the, I, I, I don't think the, the way to, to bring back the hostages is uh, by military force. And I think uh, the goals regarding Hamas is also not very achievable, even from their perspective. But I think those actions, and, and, and I think this is why it's important also to focus on the small actions on the ground, show us that this is just a revenge campaign. Other evidence uh, that the looting is widespread is the flood of, uh, you, you mentioned the questions going to rabbis about the, what kind of looting Jewish law uh, permits. Uh, you, you quote Rabbi Shilat as saying, not to worry about eating kosher in enemy homes, even if what you eat is not essential. I mean, what kind of uh, moral authority is this? So we've seen a lot of questions, and it's important to say that there are at least officially say that this is not permitted, not by the by Judaism, not by the military law. But it's important to say, and I understand from soldiers, being inside the houses, using the houses, including the beds, the mattresses, the, the things, and the food, is not even by the army really considered as illegal or incorrect. So the soldiers they spoke to, spoke about stealing or looting as one part, but then the presence in the houses is even more widespread. And uh, as you mentioned, the, the rabbis, those rabbis gave permission to, to use food and not only essential food, if you see chocolate or, or something else. And, and unfortunately, it's not only in the religious right-wing settler movement we've seen in the center and left-wing liberal newspaper, Aretz, uh, long article about, about soldiers uh, that came to houses and used spices and used olive oils and, you know, other Palestinian goods they found there. And, and all the articles kind of, in, it's in the food section. It's not even in political or military section of the newspaper. It's all about, you know, kind of a color story about how the soldiers managed to impose the chef meal while being in Gaza on operation. So, and, and this is brought with no at all. So you understand it's not of on, only a problem of a specific uh, section of the soldier or from a specific uh, political view, you understand? And, uh, and this is also the soldiers I spoke to explain that one of the, the things that I do this happen is the fact that so many houses are destroyed in northern and central Gaza, as we know, we've seen. And many of the houses after the soldier leave are being destroyed, explode, destroyed by 
machinery or burnt uh, down. And the soldiers I spoke to say that they didn't encourage people to take stuff because they say, anyway, this is going nowhere. So all atmosphere, as I said, that everything out of the destruction is so widespread and there's no value, unfortunately, to to lives of people there in Gaza. So taking something here and there, people don't even see it as something, I'm not talking even legally, but they don't even see it as something morally wrong. Wow. I mean, it is really, as you've mentioned, particularly disturbing and cruel are the accounts of soldiers uh, inside Palestinian homes uh, eating their food and, and commenting, as you've mentioned, on the spices and provisions uh, in social media posts. And But then uh, blowing up these homes and now the legitimate owners of these homes are rendered uh, homeless and many of them are, are starving. Is there an outcry amongst the Israeli public about uh, the starvation that is going on? We've we've witnessed uh, in in the media how uh, many Israelis demonstrate and attack the the aid trucks that uh, are trying to enter in into Gaza. I mean, I mean, is this the is this the plan to starve the people in Gaza? Unfortunately. It seems it is. We've seen different uh, right-wing groups, but with the uh, active support of uh, government officials and also on the ground, I saw how the police and the army, which in Israel have the capacity to prevent demonstrations, as we've seen, of course, towards Palestinians, but also in the past against people who've been protesting against Netanyahu. These demos that are in closed military areas near the border, sometimes in areas even journalists, even Israeli journalists are not allowed. We've seen how the police and the army allows them to protest there. And I'm talking before, you know, the moral issue of uh, blocking trucks or international law. I'm just talking practically. It's not an area even means that journalists can walk freely there. So, and you see hundreds of uh, families and kids and right-wing protesters just camping there. We understand that and we understand it from different sources. This is an official policy to allow these demonstrations. It's, it's convenient for the Israeli government to say we're... to. We know the aid is not enough. We know it for sure. But for the Israeli government, it's very convenient to say we want to send aid, but because of the protesters, it's blocked. And to blame it, kind of to outsource the, the blocking of the aid to, to right-wing uh, uh, protesters and uh, settlers. Now, regarding what you ask, since the beginning of the war, we've seen very small demonstration only of uh, radical uh, anti-occupation, the left-wing activists against the war, very, very small ones. Uh, even the ones who took place in Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, or Haifa, were oppressed uh, by the police with arrest, with police violence. Uh, Palestinians inside 48 Israel were not allowed to protest at all with a mass uh, campaign arrest. So even those who, the small groups who want to protest in solidarity with the Palestinians in Gaza against the attack, against the starvation, are met with uh, police violence and oppression. Unfortunately, the vast majority of the Israeli public uh, support it and you know that's maybe for a longer talk but one of the reasons at least part of it is because the Israeli media does not report about what's happening in Gaza they do the embed tours with the army but you know international media in general cannot access Gaza the besieged Gaza Strip now Israeli media is going only the on the army tours but still we have social media we have Palestinian uh, journalists doing an amazing job we have the the news agencies sending out 
stories from there. And unfortunately, I think an average person in the US or in Europe, even consume, consuming mainstream media, even right-wing mainstream media, would know more about what's happening in Gaza to the Palestinian civilians, more than the Israeli here in Tel Aviv or other cities. Even consuming mainstream media, I'm not talking about, you know, Palestinian pages or Palestinian bloggers or journalists who risk their life, and I have a lot of respect to what they're doing. Even on Western mainstream media, you see more, not enough, of course, but you see more about what's happening to the average citizen in Gaza, in northern Gaza or in southern Gaza. And in Israel, the media doesn't show it. So even those who potentially could oppose it are not really exposed to it. I mean, this is amazing. I mean, considering Israel is one of the most advanced uh, technologically and uh, the internet is widespread and social media is very popular because most of the people right here in the United States they have they, they witness the same thing. I mean, mainstream media just puts very little about what's going on there. But a lot of the people, especially the youth, as we've been seeing through the global demonstrations uh, calling for a ceasefire, they receive their news from social media, from uh, uh, X, uh, former Twitter and, and TikTok and others. They see the images of the people. And you're telling me that the public is not watching this in Israel? So on kind of extreme right-wing media and Telegram channels, they're sharing the horrific images we seeing as kind of being proud. And then, yes, people see the soldiers, you know, what we talked about, looting and exploding and what soldiers, from the soldiers' side, they see it quite well on mainstream media and then, and then on, on social media. But from the Palestinian perspective, even through mainstream media, they don't really see it. So the the, the big channels in Israel will not pick uh, a story from AP or AFP or you know one of the wires that are sending material from from Gaza daily. It's not not talking even about social media. So very little. In the last week, it's been changing slowly. So there's a bit more, but yes, there. I'm sure many people will not want to give interviews to Israeli media, but the Israeli media is not even trying to interview some of these people or even through translating international media or social media to bring their voices. So you don't see it. On the other hand, you see a lot of PR. You see embedded tours with the army. You see, we've seen uh, right-wing media going into the prison where, where they they held the whole Palestinians that been caught in Gaza, you know, um, so, you know, some of them, uh, Israel claimed are Hamas. We, we don't, you know, we don't have a way to verify it independently. But the Israeli public is definitely not exposed to what's happening in Gaza. You can say they don't, they choose not to be exposed because they can go and Google it. But at the end of the day, at eight o'clock, when you open uh, the news, the TV, you don't see, you just don't see it. You don't hear the voices of Palestinians. More than a hundred uh, Palestinian journalists have been killed. I've seen reports uh, by uh, Gideon Levy and, and Amira Haas talking about this. But uh, what about solidarity from Israeli journalists? Uh, as you mentioned, uh, Amira and Gideon, which are wonderful journalists, and also at our outlet, at the 972 magazine, we, we publish Palestinian uh, journalists and we stand in solidarity with them. But unfortunately, it's not uh, wider than that. Uh, most of the media, the mainstream media at least, 
has kind of uh, recruited fully to support uh, the war, to, to support the national uh, effort, quote-unquote. And uh, I think it's not even censorship from the government or from, you know, other agencies. It's just kind of self-censorship and a decision of the media outlets to just recruit and, and, and support the war. And it's important, it's important to say that also internally, you know, there's a problem with that because what I say and other people say is that also from the point of view of bringing back the Israeli hostages held in Gaza, any military campaign won't bring them back alive. We've seen it uh, in uh, more than 135 days, Israeli managed to rescue two or three hostages uh, in operations and the rest was released in a political deal, in a hostage agreement and uh, very few people have been saying it from day one that the only way to ensure it is to do to do a deal to do a negotiation agreement and unfortunately this is uh, not the situation but the fact that the media supports so much the war in the end of the day also in my opinion hurts the effort to release the hostages you did interview a military spokesperson at the end of your article he said that the IDF operates in accordance with international law and will continue to do so. Is Israel rethinking this position after the recent case was brought against it uh, for genocide at the ICJ? So yes, the the comment was kind of a statement they sent me, unfortunately not in an interview that I could have a Q&A with them. It was just I sent a long list of questions and, and links, also examples, and I got this very standard response. Although on the same week we published the article, uh, the chief of staff published kind of a postcard or a statement to the soldiers, and later also the general authority of the army uh, published a statement, uh, of course, supporting the soldiers, but also talking about incidents and things that happen here and there against the law. And, she, and actually, uh, the lawyer of the army, the general authority of the army, actually said that this harms Israeli on their international I don't, I'm not sure of the word, campaign or effort, that it basically that it uh, harms Israel internationally. And she was talking about acts like we mentioned in the article. So I think for sure, at least for outside or from a PR version, uh, point of view, this is a big problem uh, for official Israel that is trying uh, in the court, but also, you know, towards the US and Europe and the other countries and in the UN to show as if it's, you know, Everything is done legally and in an organized way. And I think those, specifically the, the, the small acts or the, 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 the simple soldiers doing this act kind of like make it harder for them to show that they're, they're doing anything legal because about, you know, I think for them, from their perspective, you know, bombing from the sky, you can claim a lot of things, you know, about this building or this unit. And it's also hard to prove to go two or three months you know, some things are documented and you can prove, but with such a mess, uh, bombing, you cannot always go to each incident and start to prove. But the small acts of stealing, of looting, it's something that in some way, and although it's much less severe than killing people, I think it touches something very sensitive of trying to make this image of our official army as the official goal, you know, kind of cracks this narrative in some way. And I think this is why they're trying to focus on, on this. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, it cracks the narrative that Israel is, between quotes, the most moral army in the world, that we, we've heard that before. You've been on the show prior to October 7, when there were mass demonstrations, uh, you know, for reform and against Netanyahu. Uh, they are back in droves uh, in Tel Aviv. Uh, the um, uh, police have been attacking the demonstrators. You've covered this extensively. How different are these demonstrations now, apart from wanting Netanyahu and his government to go? Uh, is there a strong movement calling for an end to the war? So as I said, unfortunately, against the war, it's only hundreds of uh, Jewish, uh, Israeli radical uh, Jewish Israelis that are trying to do their best, also in, next to those protests, but also in other actions, uh, uh, to show uh, solidarity and to resist the war uh, from inside Israel. It, it's not a big movement, to be honest. When I talk to the anti-Netanyahu protesters, so some of them, of course, agree that Netanyahu is kind of, they're looking at it from another perspective. So in their opinion, Netanyahu is kind of dragging the war to save himself because he know when the war is over officially, of course, from the Israeli side, uh, when it's officially over from the Israeli side, uh, Gantz and the other more centrist figures who went to the government might quit. Uh, I think many people inside Israel uh, are busy with the economical crisis. Some of them have been in reserve service in the army, in the military. And I think many people have this sentiment of being, you know, that you shouldn't protest during war because, you know, in the beginning, maybe because of the sirens and the emergency station. But now also many people have still this sentiment and not to protest during war. And, and I think in the near future, when if Benny Gantz goes out of the, the government, if there's a hostages deal and a ceasefire, a long ceasefire, which we all hope for, more people will go out. This is not, it's important to say, this is for Netanyahu. It is related to what they see as the biggest uh, failure of the of Israeli government and the Israeli establishment with, you know, with, with the events of October 7. So people do connect it to that. They say they have big posters saying, you're the head, you're responsible, because we've seen uh, uh, the chief of staff of the army and other people taking responsibility. And we can assume they will resign when the situation is a bit more stable from the Israeli side, but Netanyahu didn't take any responsibility and people expect him to do so. So it is related, of course, to, to what's happening in Gaza, but not in the direct meaning to call to stop the war uh, uh, in that sense. It might get, it. I, I guess the protest will get bigger. Will the movement again, the war will grow? That. That's a good question, but unfortunately, in the current atmosphere, I think it will continue to be a very small percentage of people who resist the war. With the invasion uh, in, in, in Lebanon, um, bereaved families put the most pressure then to really force the Israeli government to withdraw from the south of Lebanon. Uh, I mean... It, is the voice of the bereaved families now being heard by the Netanyahu government? I mean, uh, I mean, or 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 the, maybe the casualties are not large enough to force a, a change. That's a good question. I think the shock after October seven and the, the attack by Hamas was so big, so it took time for people to realize what's happening. I think actually in the beginning, because of the shock and the surprise, you actually had. 
a big support on a, a deal. I talked with right-wing people that said, in the beginning, we supported the deal. We saw even slogans on mainstream demonstration, all for all, meaning all the Palestinian uh, political prisoners for all the hostages. And, we, and I think in the beginning, there was a huge support for that inside the Israeli public. Uh, unfortunately, for different reasons, for revenge, what we talked before, but also I think for, for Netanyahu's interest, he preferred to go on this uh, war uh, campaign. And unfortunately, it cost also the life of some of the hostages. And I think with the time and soldiers' casualties, people kind of in Israel are less separating between the hostages and the October 7th and what's happening and now, and many people are telling themselves, anyway, so many soldiers are dying, we shouldn't uh, release the prisoners for the hostages. You know, it all gets mixed up uh, uh, in feelings. So, unfortunately, the voice of the hostages and the people in southern Israel is not heard enough. The opposite, we've seen right-wing figures inciting against the hostages, although they, they're, not all of them are center-left-wing. You have different people. And in general, the hostage uh, struggle is not very left-wing. It's kind of, you know, mainstream in Israel. But they're trying to say that this is kind of against the government. And, and we've seen Smotrich, uh, Minister Smotrich, saying this week that the hostages are not the first priority, that they're, they're not the most important stuff. And this is even from a mainstream Israeli perspective, I cannot really understand it. What can be more important than your citizens who were kidnapped from their houses and Partly, and the government is responsible for the safety. Of course, yes, they were kidnapped on a Hamas attack inside uh, uh, the borders, but the government failed to protect them. And they're saying it. First, the government failed to protect them, and then the government failed to rescue them. And it, it's very simple, I don't think, you know. And unfortunately, in the current situation in Israel, and this is connected to the war, and I think losing the value of any life of Palestinians, but only also of the hostages, in this kind of chaos inside Israel and, and mixture of feelings, people really forget this basic commitment of a state to its own citizens. With uh, millions of people demonstrating uh, across the globe uh, calling for a ceasefire, and you see, and uh, I'm sure Israelis have seen, uh, even in uh, mainstream media, the demonstrations uh, in London, in, in New York, and so on, uh, do they feel uh, do they feel isolated? Does Israel feel isolated, or 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 this is irrelevant? I think a bit yes, for sure. In the beginning, that there were protests all around. I think, as I said, because I think Israelis are not really exposed to what's happening in Gaza, to the crisis, to the devastation, to the destruction. I think I think some people are, but I think the public will be also in shock when the war ends, hopefully soon, and they will go out and meet people abroad or, or, or you know, get out of their bubble. And they will understand what Israel did and how it preserved internationally, at least by some of the public and some of the states, you know. I think people, and also from legitimate reasons of shock and, you know, of what happened on October 7, but I don't think people really understand what Israel did and what might be the economical, the international law applications to that and different and diplomatic and politically, you know, I don't think, and you know, also for hard, for us, it's, it's hard to understand it. It connects to internal politics in the US and in Europe, you know, it's hard to predict it. But I think people in Israel 
don't really understand. They don't understand what really happened in Gaza, but they also don't really imagine what the implications might be on even life on Israel after the war ends. And and they're not concerned about that. This Netanyahu regime, Smotrich, the Ben Gavirs and so forth, are capable of dragging the entire region into a war? I mean, that's not the main concern? So we've seen that. We've seen talks about it. We've seen talks about it before October 7. Even during the mainstream demonstration, uh, people were talking about it, that with such extreme figures, people that really, people you couldn't imagine would be ministers, even inside Israeli politics, these people controlling the state and navigating the state will end in the disaster. So this is something that people warned um, much before October. Now people are talking about it, especially around Ramadan and the attempts of Ben to to limit uh, Palestinians, even Palestinian citizens of Israel inside 48 from reaching Al-Aqsa on the holy month. So people are talking about it also regarding Lebanon. Lebanon, people have fear, uh, you know, of, you know, we know many countries are trying diplomatically to get to some, I don't want to say agreement, but, you know, to some understanding there uh, to prevent uh, a war with Lebanon. And yes, people are fearing and and, and I think we are, many people said that, you know, that uh, Benigvir and Smotrich and these people are kind of uh, dragging Netanyahu to the right. But, you know, with him partnering with them from ideologically or just from practical reason to survive, in the end of the day, I see them as one unit. It's, I think it's very easy for Netanyahu to, to put the blame on them, on some extreme movement. In the end, it's one government. He put them on this, uh, on this uh, ministries and, and he's responsible. And in the, in the, to that, yes, on the center left in Israel, people are very worried. Uh, we've seen it even yesterday in very simple protests uh, against the government and against the hostages on Saturday. Uh, night and police attacking old people just standing on a road, you know, blocking a road, but not even the highway. And the police just using water cannon and mounted uh, policemen and arresting and injuring people. And we understand because this is just to satisfy Ben Benvir. It's not even something that is hidden. You know, they don't say it in words, but you understand that for the policemen, they don't pay any price, the commanders, to for attacking uh, protesters against the government, the, the opposite, uh, Ben Gvir went on channel on the right wing uh, channel 14 a few days ago and said that every time he reads an article in a Aretz about a policeman who did something bad or something, he immediately in, invites the officer, the police officer commander to a meeting to check the option to promote it. He said it openly on live TV. But when there's an article against the policeman, he invited him. He didn't say to promote, but he said to check if he could be promoted as if it's something good. So we've seen even police brutality, not against Palestinians inside 48, against Jewish Israelis from the center of the society is, is, is being accepted by, by the ministry, by the police. And this is something that can shift. If one thing we've seen in the protests uh, before October, one thing that mobilized people in the anti-government movement is police brutality. And the fact that yesterday the police uh, used water cannon and arrest and injured people will mean that next week there will be 10 times more people going to the streets because they see the police just serving Ben Gvir and the government. And like in, in Russia or in, 
uh, other countries just making sure that there would not be any opposition to the government. And we're not talking against the war. We're just talking for elections and for the hostages. That's it. Oren Zev, uh, thank you for coming on Arab Talk uh, again uh, for your quality journalism. We hope uh, to see you on the show in the near future. Thank you so much for having me. That's the voice and the face of Oren Zev, the uh, journalist, Israeli journalist, in his latest article, 972, on rugs, cosmetics, motorbikes, how Israeli soldiers are looting Gaza homes en masse. Well, there's two parts of the story that are very disturbing, Jamal, obviously, in addition to the grotesque violation under uh, the Geneva Convention of looting homes that are being bombed and uh, destroyed by the Israeli military. One, that uh, looting is occurring, obviously, is very disturbing. But as you said, and as Oren described, the Israeli commanders and the soldiers are essentially proud of this. They're using it as a as a TikTok and an IG uh, opportunity to brag to the world how they're stealing, looting, and destroying Palestinian homes, while Palestinians in Gaza are literally freezing and starving to death outside of their homes. This seems to be very compelling evidence to the ICJ, to me. It is. And, and uh, that's why recently a, an Israeli commander put an order to stop posting these videos. You know, of course, it took them over 100 days to realize this. Uh, I think there is plenty of evidence because now they're hearing it from their lawyers saying, hey, wait a minute, why are you allowing these people to do so? And I have to say, actually, they're still doing it. They're still doing it. They're yes, still, they still are. They're still seeing these uh, videos popping up. And uh, I mean, what, what's worse, Jess, uh, you've mentioned something that going to someone's home, most likely that person got killed. If they haven't been, if they haven't gotten killed, they're starving in the, in, 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 in the rain. And then they go into their kitchen and they start eating their food and making fun out of them and <laughs> displaying woman lingerie. You know, that's, that's, uh, that's the latest thing that they've been doing. I mean, they're so deprived, it's, it's, it's embarrassing. I mean, it's embarrassing but for, but they're not uh, embarrassing. These are people who don't get embarrassed easily. No, no, they're, they're proud of the depravity, Jamal. That's the thing. They're proud of the fact that they're looting, stealing, and debasing these sacred spaces of Palestinians in their homes. There was one particularly gruesome uh, video that came out, gruesome, just emotionally gruesome, is that there's a famous Palestinian music, uh, musician in Gaza who was watching one of these videos, and he saw that an Israeli soldier was actually playing the guitar that his deceased father had given him uh, as a young man, as a young boy, and that he had grown to love this guitar and had to leave it behind as he and his family were being forced to flee their homes. And this guitar, which has so much emotional and personal value to this Palestinian, uh, he had to bear witness to this Israeli soldier basically desecrating this important musical instrument. It's one of hundred, hundreds, Jamal, videos, TikToks, and IG posts by the Israeli military dehumanizing and desecrating these sacred spaces of Palestinians in Gaza. That's right. So the UN says that now, just that some 2.3 million people in Gaza 
are now on the brink of a famine. Israel, uh, which cut off food supply, water, and fuel into Gaza, right. and basically now, technically, I mean, I say technically, there's one entry point for humanitarian aid, uh, which was opened in December, but aid a- agencies says uh, stringent checks by Israeli forces, and of course, we know that also Israeli the Israeli public are preventing these aid trucks from entering, which is basically going through, you know, you have the aid going from the Egyptian side of Rafah, and then uh, and then you have demonstrators at the Kerem Abu Salem crossing. Those are Israeli uh, who are hampering the entry of the food trucks. And you get very, very little uh, food and supplies entering, even when they enter. Uh, there was a video that I watched this morning where you have hundreds of trucks lined up because, you know, the international community, okay, they're trying not to meet even though that it's not enough. But there are hundreds of trucks lined up and they're not allowed to go in. And some of those who went in were bombed. So you have right. now starvation. And the other video I have to tell you about, Jess, is... Uh, a two-month-old Palestinian boy, a baby, has died from starvation in northern Gaza. This is according to several reports by the media and the United Nations, which warn again of an explosion in child death to Israel's war on the besieged enclave and the starvation. Well, that's, that's right, Jamal. And by the way, just, just so that our viewers and listeners know, it's not just the starvation which means that 99% of Palestinians in Gaza aren't barely even able to get one meal a day. But it's also the fact that the Israeli military has denied access and denied entry to critical vaccines that children, young adults, and adults need during this crazy flu season right now. We know that flu, influenza, as well as all the other uh, viruses that are very active right now worldwide are running rampant right now, and the amount of respiratory diseases, in addition to the starvation, is running rampant right now. And some people have estimated that an additional 60 to 70,000 Palestinians could die in Gaza from the lack of medical attention in the next six months. So the starvation, the denial of medical care continues to cause this catastrophic situation for Palestinians in Gaza, Jamal. And this this may in fact relate a little bit to our next segment, but you know the Israel was brought to the ICJ, and there was credible evidence to continue the claim of genocide that was brought forth by the government of South Africa and supported by other governments. And now Israel has to submit an update that they have taken steps to stop the genocide in Gaza. I wonder what's going to happen. How are the Israeli government officials going to face the ICJ when they continue to kill, starve, and injure Palestinians in Gaza? They're counting on basically fabricating information and lying and counting on other countries like the United States and and the UK to cover up for uh for its actions, because we've uh, uh, we've heard uh, this week from uh, from the UK representative saying that that 
uh, they didn't want the ICJ to kind of rule on on the ceasefire or on the status of Gaza or anything like this. Be, and and uh, paraphrasing their words, they basically want them to maintain the status quo or something like that, what's uh, agreed upon. I mean, I don't know what the UK means by this, is that does this go as far as the Balfour Declaration, the status quo, keeping, uh, you know, Palestinians under occupation? I mean, you know, this is, they're trying to kind of uh, put hurdles in front of it. But going back to what Israel has been doing, I mean, that what is now being documented, and these are facts, because I'm not going to rely on what Israel is telling you, but we have a few things that we can share with our viewers and listeners. Israel has killed just an average of 100 Palestinians per day since the ICJ said, stop killing civilians. Don't, uh, right. you're, you might be committing a, a genocide and war crime. Stop doing that. They've been killing an average of 100 civilians per day, bringing the death, and this is, when the ICJ made that requirement from 26,422 to now 29,514 documented. So you're talking about 3,000 people have been killed since the ICJ put those demands on Israel. So that's, that's a fact. Let's see how they're going to dispute this. Maybe these people, the Palestinians in Gaza, just committed suicide and jumped from their buildings to kill themselves. I mean, 3,000 have been killed since they uh, they they gave them the, this this request, Israel and we've been talking about that has blocked delivery of humanitarian aid, including by allowing Israelis basically to demonstrate and and prevent you know uh, the trucks from crossing. They put in the way of the truck, Jess, of the trucks. This is. A bouncy castle, you know, those bouncy castles that you put right. uh, for kids. They put it on the road to, to, to block the trucks from crossing Kerem Shalom. This is or Kerem Salem, the spot for entry of goods. Israel only allowed an average of 62 trucks of aid in per day after committing to allowing 200 per day. Although... 500 or more are needed. If we go before October, that's what you need, 500, 500 trucks or more. And they agree to 200, which is less than half, but they're allowing about 62. That's when they don't attack them. And again, they've destroyed all the infrastructure, even though they've committed or they were asked to resume electricity and water supply, even if they wanted to, they won't be able to. That's their excuse because they bombed all the infrastructure that deals with electricity, sewage, yes. and, and water. And after all of this, not yeah. a single Israeli soldier uh, has been arrested for uh, their genocidal acts. And we've witnessed so many or for torturing Palestinian civilians. And uh, even even on their speech, they have not been reprimanded well i i think that in addition to that and it'll be interesting to see what the israelis say jabal but 70 percent of the domicile of the homes 
of the apartments of the flats in Gaza have been destroyed. It's called domicide, the destruction of places to live. Even if there's a ceasefire, Jamal, where are people going to live? 70% have been destroyed. I wonder how Israel is going to respond to that. They, they, don't, they don't have a response. And, and as our guest earlier, Israel can make claims when you have aerial bombing, you know, that buildings were bombed by, by mistake or those Hamas fighters were hiding there or something like this. But when you see now, when Israel now with, it on, with its uh, ground operation, just they're there, they're showing you the building is empty, they loot the building, they leave, they have a video, and then afterwards, I mean, there are no Palestinians there, there's no Hamas fighter, there's no strategic importance. Uh, it's a private home or a private residential building, and then they blow it up. That's what they well, do. But for the Israelis, that is their strategic aim. As we've talked about for many years, Jamal, the strategic aim for Israel is not to get rid of Hamas. The strategic aim is to make Gaza uninhabitable and to ethnically cleanse and remove Palestinians. So nobody buys this idea that the aim is to rid Hamas of the Gaza Strip because what they've done and what they're in the process of doing is making life in Gaza uninhabitable. It's going to make the possibility of any kind of reconciliation, and we put this in quotes, Jamal, peace. I mean, because peace and ceasefire are two different things. There absolutely needs to be a ceasefire. There absolutely needs to be a resumption of humanitarian aid, and that ceasefire needs to be permanent. But the idea that somehow peace will come to Palestine, to Gaza, to the West Bank, to Jerusalem under these conditions, I think the Israelis again have miscalculated their understanding of what's going to happen, because the real intention is to not have Palestinians anywhere in Palestine, let alone in Gaza. I don't see what's going to happen in the foreseeable future, Jamal, that's going to make life for Palestinians in Gaza livable anymore. Do you? No, I mean, you're absolutely correct. I mean, that's the plan. They've been saying it. They've been uh, talking about it. You have the Smotrich and the Ben Gaviers that they want to rebuild settlements. You have others who are talking about resorts and building hotels and basically emptying the, you know, that's the whole plan that didn't work out for them so far, except for killing the Palestinians and keep pushing them uh, to one corner of Gaza is to push them into the Sinai and then take over the land. I mean, that's, that's the initial plan. And that's what they wanted to do all along is to empty the land uh, of its inhabitants and then uh, expand into it. I mean, every action that Israel has taken, whether it's in the West Bank or elsewhere, Jerusalem and so forth, is basically step-by-step uh, step of ethnic cleansing, step-by-step step of land appropriation, and, and then transferring population to these areas, including, by the way, the Syrian Golan Heights. That's right. And we, we don't have time to talk about it today, Jamal, but there is another ICJ hearing as we speak, right? Uh, South Africa has made another uh, uh, petition to the ICJ, basically saying that Israel's engagement in the West Bank in Jerusalem is occupation and illegal under international law. And for the in all last week, there was presentations about the 
illegality and the uh, of the Israeli occupation in the in the West Bank. Do you hazard to guess the one country that got had the audacity to get in front of the ICJ and say, "Well, Israel should continue the occupation for security reasons." Do you know who that country is? No, I, I, your guess is mine, Jess. Obviously, it was the United States, Jamal. Yes, United well, I States. Mean, Let's look at uh, look at the United Nations Security Council. Only the United States yes. veto it, and Britain abstained, and then you have twelve other countries who That's voted right. for it. So, yeah. So you you have a country, the United States, and our ambassador there, uh, Ambassador Greenfield, who continued to veto a resolution demanding that Israel cease fire and stop the genocide and the massacres. They veto that, and then they have the audacity in front of the ICJ to further support the illegal occupation of the West Bank and Jerusalem. And ironically, Jamal, Antony Blinken said, oh, but the new settlements we consider illegal, but what about the 800,000 settlers that are there illegally since 1967? He didn't touch that. So we're going to have a lot to talk about as the weeks uh uh, as the weeks follow from now, Jamal, I'm very concerned because, you know, the so-called peace talks that are going to be occurring in Paris and now moving to Qatar eventually, I'm not optimistic about it. I don't know what you think. Well, I've seen actually a report by Hamas saying exactly that. Don't be optimistic about it because what Israel wants, wants uh, Hamas to release 40 hostages, uh, mostly the women and the elderly and so forth, for again, a temporary ceasefire and, uh, and, and, and a small redeployment in Gaza. In other words, Israeli troops will remain there. There is no permanent. I, I think it would be crazy, and I said this before, for Hamas to even accept that. Uh, and then just like they accepted before the temporary ceasefire, and then look what happened right. since then. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com, to download the latest shows, and we'll speak to you next week. We'll see you next week.